Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, September 24th, 2018. Back in the saddle. Actually, that's the wrong metaphor. (laughs) Back at the helm. Back at the helm. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) A pirate, not a cowboy. Anyway. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching, that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. In fact, it's like not even close anymore. And so many people are distracted in being taught about stuff that has absolutely nothing, and I mean nothing to do whatsoever with what the Bible teaches what is revealed there about God, what God's will is for us to do, things like that. And instead, we are inundated. Many people are inundated with a bunch of just distracting doctrines, distracting practices, things that have, you know, that are not even remotely based upon a a right or proper or sound understanding of Scripture. In fact, God's Word is becoming... Uh, well, a thing of the past in um, in so many churches today. It's actually quite frightening how that all works. Now, what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to just basically just dive into kind of examples today of um, of stuff that has nothing to do distracting doctrines, distracting teachings, distracting practices, stuff that has nothing to do with Christianity. We're going to just dive into it today. 
And so we'll begin with a uh, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update slash NAR update. Yeah, it's it's kind of have to be, you know, mashed together a little bit here. And uh, I'll start with the NAR uh, because we're going to be listening to uh, Lou Engel and a fellow by the name of Michael uh, Koulianos. And uh, Michael is part of a group called uh, Jesus Image, and uh, we're going to be listening to part of the worship footage uh, from a, a conference that they recently did, and I think this was in Dallas. Let me double-check my uh, computer here. Yeah, this is the uh, Jesus Regional um, yeah, Jesus Image Regional meeting that took place uh, not that long ago. Uh, in uh, Dallas, and so we're, we're going to kind of dive in, uh, dive in on the live live stream, and just pay real close attention to the nonsense that's going on there. And uh, and Lou Engel will will lead us off. We'll probably break away from Lou Engel, and then we're going to check in with um, somebody we've never heard from before, uh, Prophetess Belinda Williams. And apparently, God is speaking through toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we'll probably go back to Michael Koulianos. We'll uh, check in with Perry Stone, recent appearance on uh, Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, and Perry Stone discussing his personal angel. That you know, When this uh, personal angel appears, the atmosphere changes and stuff and, and things, and yeah, it's kind of nuts. And somewhere in there we're going to have to take a break, and then we're going to do an extended... Uh, Segment as we listen to Banning Liebscher of Jesus Culture and a, an interview he did with Preston Sprinkle, where he tries to set the record straight. But I'm going to name this segment, although it, this isn't the only thing he's going to be discussing. But I'm going to name this segment: uh, Banning Liebscher whitewashes Bethel's grave sucking, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll we'll note you know what really goes on there. And funny enough, uh, that'll allow us to kind of tie in. Ben Fitzgerald. If you're not familiar with Ben Fitzgerald, this guy is like <laughs> uh, the the Bethel graduate of the of the millennia. Best way I can put it. I mean, he is embraced and just dove headfirst into the bizarre doctrines and practices of uh, of Bethel Church, and uh, he's a graduate of the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. He's doing this awakening thing in Europe and as well as in Australia, and the guy is completely wackerdoodle, but we'll throw in there that um, Ben Fitzgerald uh, was one of these fellows who was practicing grave soaking. So I, I find it fascinating what Banning Liebscher did in kind of defending uh, Bethel, and uh, the narrative that he put forward is, uh, let's just say, not accurate, best way I could put it. And uh, so that will be hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to be listening to a sermon from a church in Boulder, Colorado, and titled, are you ready? It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, it's a, it's a Wonderful Life. I have no idea what this has to do with Christianity, but apparently Rabbi Gene Binder, Binder you know, he's trying to uh, help Christians re-experience wonder. Yeah. And it makes me wonder when I watched the sermon earlier uh, today, uh, what has happened to the Bible and why is it not being substantively, substantively taught or preached in so many places that call themselves churches today? 
it's actually quite disconcerting. So with that, let's go ahead and get into the program proper. we got a lot of ground we need to cover. We'll start off with the NAR, so let's do this. Jay, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. They're laboratory mice, they're teens and they're sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. The Twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. All right, so let's head over to the Jesus Image regional meeting that just took place in Dallas and uh, see if you can make heads or tails of this. This is, well, Lou Engel leading everybody in worship. Yeah, just listen in. Here we go. We welcome you here, O Lord. Here, Lord, have we prepared a place for you. Long have we desired for you to dwell. Here, O Lord, we've prepared a resting place. Here, O Lord, we wait for you alone. Are you trying to get God's attention? Over here, God. We're over here. Here, here, here. God, come on. Over here. Isn't that what the prophets of Baal did to try to get Baal's attention? I, you know, just saying, you know. Yeah, by the way, that right there is, that, that, you know, you talk to a charismatic or a Pentecostal, they'll say, oh yeah, Lou Engel speaking in tongues. No, he's not. That's gibberish. If you want to, you know, attribute it to the devil, you say that's parcel mouth. Yeah, those of you who are Harry Potter fans will know what I'm talking about. But that, that ain't no human language. Uh, when the gift of tongues appeared, it gave miraculous ability for people to proclaim the wonders of God in languages they hadn't studied so that people who were in their vicinity could hear these things and understand them who didn't speak other languages. You, you kind of get the idea. But that this ain't tongues. I don't know what that is. Oh, Lord, just cre- and by the way, when the church gathers together, um, God's word, yeah, read 1 Corinthians 14, forbids uh, tongue speakers from speaking in tongues without a translator. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. ...an atmosphere a magnetism magnetize heaven to earth with divine... Dis- yeah, I don't want a magnetized atmosphere you know, at church. That would mess up... Like the you know the magnetic strip on the back of my credit cards. We we want to pull heaven and heaven pull us up. You're you're gonna pull heaven. You really think you can do that? Meet together in the air, so to speak. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your glory. 
cloud rest over us tonight. Yeah, that that was a phenomenon of the uh, wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. Um, Glory clouds are not a thing in the New Covenant. Yeah, more gibberish there. Apparently, even the band is, uh, they're, they're, they're strumming in gibberish. <laughs> this isn't even music. Let's walk among the room, Jesus. Walk into every seat. Lord, we open our hearts. Of course, Lou Engel is um, shaking uncontrollably, rocking back and forth, which apparently is supposed to be some manifestation of the Holy Spirit that shows that he's one of the anointed ones. God to receive. Release the gift of faith among us. Yeah, that's not creepy at all. Now, let's uh, switch gears just a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll go into the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. We'll come back to the NAR, but uh, let's set this up proper. Here, here we go. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So we're heading over to the Facebook of a self-professed prophetess, uh, Belinda Williams. And uh, a recent uh, Facebook Live segment that she did, and she's prophesying using uh, toys, mm-hmm. particularly uh, a toy uh, of a baby pram with, uh, with a baby doll in it. I- I'm just wondering if we should name this segment the Chucky Prophecy. I- I'm not exactly sure, but... Here's, uh, well, we'll have a little bit of intro right before uh, Prophetess Belinda so you can hear the type of worship that's taking place there. Here we go. Somebody call an ambulance. Uh, apparently, somebody's wounded or hurt. See, you know, 
that doesn't look like Christian worship to me. Doesn't sound like Christian worship. And the people shaking uncontrollably. Whoa, what is that? All right, Prophetess Belinda has taken the center of the circle. She's about ready to receive a word from God. Here we go. I think she's shaking a flashlight. And you'll note uh, here that none of these people are at, none of them are speaking in tongues. That's just straight up gibberish or parcel mouth. Was that a shofar or a vuvuzela? Hard to tell the difference, you know. Could be a dying snuffleupagus. Things are settling down now. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) All right, so she just talked about a pram, and the pram, she's picking it up now. On Wednesday, I'm going to release the word for the year 5779. All right, she's releasing the word for the year 5779. Yeah, that's the uh, new year. By the way, that's the Jewish year. Little prophet, push this in. Mm-hmm. Because the first word of the Lord over 5779 is that this is the year of birthing. I need a prophecy bingo card. Yeah, so birthing, yeah. How many times have I heard <laughs> so-called prophets or prophets saying, this is the year of birthing. Yeah, it's it's so prevalent that it is one of our prophecy bingo words. This is the year of birthing, that little guy. Yeah, I'm not birthing nothing, lady. He's so prophetic. Mm-hmm. Jobs, come and high five me, lady. Mm-hmm. What's up? Give me a high five. <laughs> so the kid who pushed the pram out into the middle of the circle... He's uh, being groomed now as a prophet, and this was a prophetic act on his part. Telling you out of the mouths of babes, you're going to get ready for children to prophesy. You're going to see three-year-olds laying their hands on the dead, and they're going to get up out of the graves. I'm telling you. Yes. That's what we are contending for. Come on, We're going to see teenagers turn their schools in. Yeah, it's really sad that the people there think that this woman's hearing from God. God didn't send her. None of the words that she's speaking are actually from God. You know, what she's speaking is uh, absolutely gobbledygook and nonsense. This has nothing to do with Christianity. Notice she, she attended Apostle Maldonado's church, yeah. There are no apostles on the planet today. Anybody claiming to be apostle today, they're straight up deceiving you. 19-year-olds on a weekend for fun. Go to the mall and see how many blind eyes 
How many people that can put out of yeah, let, Let's see all the proof for all those blind people who've been given sight under Apostle Maldonado's so-called ministry. So apparently he's raising dead people, too. I, I'd like to see the proof of that as well. Yeah, so the pram is purple and pink. Woo! That proves. Man, I'm telling you, God's talking right there. You know, apparently those are very prophetic colors. Who knew? Boys, yeah. God says that this is a year of birthing. What's he birthing? You know what this baby represents? The destiny plans and purposes of God. Mm, yeah, so it, it represents the destiny plans and purposes of God. Again. God didn't send her. She's not speaking God's words. She's speaking the delusions of her own mind and blaming it on God. The destiny of nations, the destiny of ministries, the destiny of families, the destinies of individuals. The destiny of nations are bound up in the prophetic word of that pram toy. No. Pink means new beginnings, beloved. Look at the pink here. Pink means, pink means new beginnings. Who knew? Yeah, wow. I'll never look at pink the same again. New beginnings. God says it's not a new beginning. It's a time of new beginnings. One set of time has gone, and a new set of time has been released to the earth. So yes. you're going to give birth to new beginnings in every single... Yeah, birthing new beginnings. Again, this is just goobity gook. Is that the right way to put it? I don't know. I'm just losing it at this point. The purple is talking about the restoration of the kingly anointing upon the bride of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> the destiny of a priestly anointing. Woohoo! Kingly anointing. Because there's purple on the pram. <laughs> See, it's got to be from. This is nonsense. <laughs> She's a warrior bride, Lord Jesus. Yeah. And he's releasing his DNA. You know why we don't walk in the authority we need to? Because we don't have a full revelation of our identity as sons. Oh, wow. He's releasing his DNA and a full revelation of our identity and stuff. You know, because of the toy. Level of authority shifts. Shifts, by the way, is one of our prophecy bingo words. Yeah, I, you want to learn how to prophesy? Just grab a prophecy bingo card and speak with authority. Just throw in a bunch of word salad words you know, from the cards themselves, and you'll sound like any old prophet like that. <clears throat> I think you get the idea. So uh, clearly this woman is not sent by God. Not at all. In fact, Scripture warns us quite clearly. Uh, Jesus warns us that in the last day there would be false Christs and false prophets. This lady is going to be 
in the category of a false prophet. None of the stuff she's saying makes any sense. She's speaking with authority, but none of the words that she's spoken uh, that have the authority of God behind her. She's actually blaspheming God's name, taking it in vain in order to deceive people into thinking that she's really something special when she's not. So you you know when you uh, if you attend a church where people are saying this kind of nonsense and they're spewing prophecies that you can find on the fighting for the faith bingo cards you know you're dealing with a false prophet run away and find a solid church and don't expose yourself to these wingnuts cuz these are the type of people that are going to hell and dragging a whole lot of people with them all while claiming that they're worshiping God it's very fascinating and very awful All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to be hearing from Michael Koulianos, Perry Stone, and Banning Liebscher. Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Of this sissy, frenzy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. the bell. Rick Warren and Joe Oshin come charging out of their corners to begin round five and the punches are already flying. Warren delivers a clean uppercut into Osteen's jaw. Now missing a beat, Osteen returns the favor with a swift jab to Warren's ribcage. Warren staggers a little but lunges and lands a stunning blow to Osteen's right temple. Osteen's light-footedness has allowed him to dodge a majority of Warren's more devastating blows, but I think he may be in trouble now. Warren is coming in for the knock and oh! Rick Warren has punched Osteen in the face with a wild haymaker, and he's down. Osteen was hit so hard that his mouth guard has flown into the nosebleed section of the audience. Warren really put all his weight into that one. Osteen has begun to stand back up while using the rope for support. He's... he's almost up. He's up! Joel Osteen is still standing, folks. The crowd is going wild. Joel Osteen is now doing something unprecedented. He's... he's smiling! Jill Osteen's white teeth have blinded Rick Warren, and Rick Warren is now lying flat on his back. It's a technical knockout. 
Rick Warren is down for the count, ladies and gentlemen, making Jolo seem the uncontested winner. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that a vast majority of charismatic and Pentecostal churches are engaged in teaching and doing stuff that has nothing to do with Christianity. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great, fantastic way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can click on the Donate button and fill the information out there, 
or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And if you'd like to support us by becoming a patron on Patreon, you can do so by clicking on the Become a Patron button. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sour loose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sour loose. I'm a nut. All right, so uh, we're uh, heading over to uh, Sid Roth's It's Supernatural, and we're going to be listening to Perry Stone explain all kinds of things. But did you know that he had a personal angel that changes atmospheres and stuff? Yeah, apparently that's what he thinks. And so uh, here's uh, Perry Stone with uh, Sid Roth to explain. Here we go. Well, I am so excited to find out some of the secrets of the supernatural that you... Secrets of the supernatural. Are we Gnostics now? Gnostics are the ones who are into spiritual secrets and stuff. And uh, if there were secrets of the supernatural, the spirit realm or whatever, they wouldn't be secrets because if we as Christians were to believe them, they would be found directly in the Bible itself laid out for us to all see. We'd, be know, we'd know these things just by reading Scripture. Found out from your father and from his uncle. Uh, and... Uh, because most people see you and they think of a, a prophecy right. teacher, mm-hmm. uh, a Jewish roots teacher, mm-hmm. and they don't know the supernatural. For instance, I don't think many of you know this. Did you know that he has an angel that has followed his third generational mm-hmm. angel that follows him now? Mm-hmm. So apparently Perry Stone has a third generational angel that follows him. Really? Tell us more. What happens when that angel shows up? I, I, can, I can say this, you know, really before the Lord, that I don't sense him all the time. But probably on 10 different occasions, out of absolutely, totally unexpected, not praying for it, not asking for it, when I have been in services, the shifting of the atmosphere is felt by everyone there. Even even people that are backslid or away from God can sense it. And there's usually almost a weeping that comes. There's a real uh, holiness of God that shows up. There's a real just just uh, awareness. Of- so as soon as your your third generational angel shows up, the atmosphere changes and stuff, huh? Where are the atmospheric changing uh, generational angels 
mentioned for us in Scripture. I'd like to see that text. God, an awareness of the Holy Spirit that, sh- that comes. And then what always happens, there either is a shifting in the sermon. To- a, a shifting, yeah. There's a lot of shifting going on in the charismatic churches. Birthings and shiftings and atmospherings and things like that. None of it seems to make any biblical sense to me, but just noting that it, it seems to be a lot of that going around. Without notes, without, the, I'll lay the scripture, the Bible on the pulpit and just go into a realm of ministry, or there comes a very heavy prophetic word, totally unexpected, uh, where the Spirit of God gives a prophetic. Now, a prophetic word is an utterance under inspiration for the Holy Spirit without tongues and interpretation. If you're, if you're charismatic Pentecostal, you'll understand what I'm talking about there. And the other thing that I've noticed is that on one occasion, we were in a transition in the ministry, a very heavy transition. And I was so down because more weight was coming to me, more heaviness and weight. And I, I was complaining and said, Lord, how can I do this? Well, you've asked me to do this. I can't physically do this. And I'm... Uh-oh, uh-oh. There's, there's an atmospheric shifting going on right now on the Sid Roth set. And, uh, and, and, and Perry Stone can feel it, apparently, you know? Yeah, this all sounds like a bunch of flim-flam to me. Wow. Yes, Lord. He's quite the actor, you know. I can't hardly talk. This is what happens to me when we talk about this. And I'm sitting in this big chair at my desk, and I turned this way, and I felt the hand come to the chair. When, when the hand came to my chair, every hair on my body stood up. See, the Holy Spirit's presence works from, from let's say it in John 7. Yeah, how do you know that wasn't a demon? You know, just asking. From the belly out. Yeah, the reason I ask is because, you know, Perry Stone has been a feature on Fighting for the Faith for many years now. And this guy is a habitual and chronic twister of God's word. And there's some pretty strange things that go on at his Alpha and Omega Center. And he, one of the things he does, he gives the stage of the Alpha and Omega Center to some of the most notorious heretics on planet Earth. I think of like Phil Muncy and others. And this guy thinks that Phil Muncy, the money-grubbing charlatan, is a legitimate preacher of God's word. He's an obvious charlatan. An angelic presence is around you. You'll you'll never feel it in. You'll feel the anointing stir. But Yeah, where in Scripture does it talk about feeling the anointing stirring inside of you? Again, what does this have to do with biblical Christianity? You'll note... No Bible is opened for this. You'll feel it out here. Well, every hair of my body stood up, and all of a sudden, a weeping came to me. And the weight, within 10 minutes, the weight that was on me came off of me. So the, the weight lifted, got it. And from that moment on, and, and really, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. My daddy always said, now, Perry, when you feel this presence, stay in it. Don't jump out it. But I got so excited. So when you feel that thing, you, you got to stay in it. Yeah. This, this sounds crazy. I jumped up. Yep, it does. You're right. And I ran through my office and I ran to my secretary's office, beat the door down, knocked the door and said, you want to believe what just happened? Oh, my God, you can't believe what just happened. Well, they're all excited. And I run to another office. Then I realize, what am I doing? So I go back in there hoping it's there and it's not there now. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, Perry, what did you do? I mean, what? Yeah, he's regaling us with all kinds of interesting stories here. 
And you'll note that uh, none of this is helping us to understand what is revealed in the written word of God with any better clarity or understanding. Yeah, no, this is all just distracting nonsense and doctrines that have nothing to do with biblical Christianity. You come away from this thinking, wow, Perry Stone's a real man of God. And, you know, I can't wait to feel the atmospheric shifting anointing thingy that will stir within me as soon as uh, my generational angel pops into the room. And the Bible teaches none of this. Yeah, talk about being distracted. All right, let's check back with with the uh, Jesus Image Dallas Regional Conference as uh, Michael Koulianos has taken the stage and uh, see if he can make heads or tails of this. You receive that? What exciting days we're living in. Could I have the worship team up, please? You ready to experience the Lord? How many of you love Him? How many of you are hungry? How many of you are hungry for a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit? Hungry for a fresh touch of the Holy... You can offer that? If any of this is going to happen that we're talking about, we need a power and a presence that far exceeds our natural capabilities... Are not so are you gonna shout to God like Lou Engel did? God, we're over here. We're over here, God. Ability to strategize and cross promote and market and travel and do at the end of the day, we need God to walk into those stadiums. We need him to manifest. We need the visible, tangible Shekinah glory of God. That's what we And where in scripture are we as Christians in the New Covenant? told that we would have the physical, tangible manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, that sounds biblical and stuff, but I'm just a little fuzzy, fu- really fuzzy on the biblical texts that say we're supposed to expect that or that we can somehow conjure that up. You know, in those early Jesus movement days and meetings, the early days of the full gospel businessmen, they called the fire department more than once. Can you document that, please? I'd like to see the documentation on this. Because the there were visible, glorious flames coming out of those meetings. Really? So there the full gospel businessmen were just doing their lunch thing, and next thing you know, uh, you know, the you know, the fire department shows up with ladder trucks and hoses out ready to save these four four full gospel businessmen. And they look at them going, what are you talking about? You, well, there's no fire. Well, we saw flames. Yeah, I'd like to see the documentation on that, please. Fire department would come only to find no natural fire, but a holy fire. A holy fire. I said a holy fire. Yeah, I, we heard you say it, what, three times there? Holy fire. Holy Four fire. times. Five. I want all of you right now to uh, stand up quickly. Quickly stand. Quickly stand. And I want to tell you from the get-go, this is going to go for about three or four minutes. I want you to begin praising the Lord in the Spirit with everything you have right now. Just do it. Just do it and trust me. Every instrument, let's go. Every voice. Everything we've got. Guitar, jump on your guitar. All right, here we go again. People lathering and gibberish here. and The instrument's not even really playing a song here. It's just, supposedly this is what it means to... To worship with all you got, just, just say any old thing that comes to your mind. Just settle in now. We're going to be here for a 
settle in, folks. We're, yeah, it's going to be a while. Yeah, could you give me an example of the disciples doing this? I'd like to see that in Scripture. Yeah, this isn't taught anywhere. This is this is the kind of stuff that Paul says that if anyone were to walk in on your worship service and this kind of stuff were going on, they would leave thinking you were out of your minds. Yeah, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that Paul warned against and told the church not to do. He put actual order and structure on Christian worship. This is just lawless. It's way, way out there. All right, moving along. Last change. We'll do a, a Bethel update, but let's use this as our update music. So I was having this wedding, and and we had... We... Well, we didn't have, we Shaba. Shaba Shandai. Yeah, 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 Shaba. Oh. Shaba. Shaba. Wow, Shaba Shandai. Headless, headless, toothless devil. So much mice keep yeah, that's right. I can't believe it's true. Because it's not. That ain't the Holy Spirit inspiring Heidi Baker to go Shaba. She's a regular at uh, Bethel in Reading, by the way. All right, so we're heading over to the YouTube channel of Preston Sprinkle. And his interviewee is uh, Banning Liebscher of um, of Jesus Culture and Bethel Church, Redding, California. We're going to do an extended segment where we listen to Banning discussing the critics of Bethel and the things that they've said. And we're, we're going to note that uh, the thing we're kind of after, but I wanted you to hear it in context, is that Banning Liebscher on Preston Sprinkle's YouTube is going to whitewash. Yeah, that's the right way to put it. Whitewash the grave-sucking, grave-soaking practices of Bethel Church and Bethel's leadership and notable students of the past, which would include Ben Fitzgerald of the Awakening of Europe, Awakening Europe, Awakening Australia. Yeah, this guy's a whacker doodle like you wouldn't believe. And we, we got video of him uh, it, basically saying he can impart the anointing from somebody's grave to uh, to people watching on the internet. No joke, but that'll be part of what we're going to be doing. So let's get to it. Here's Banning Liebscher and Preston Sprinkle discussing the, the criticisms of Bethel Church. Here we go. This stuff began to kind of, this the God moving in this way began to break out in these places. And our pastor, Bill, um, just has a deep passion for revival. Like he has a deep, deep passion to see God move in the hearts of people and God move in cities. And so when he came, uh, he came and the church was just a good, strong, charismatic church, but he came with renewal and renewal was a little bit, renewal is controversial in that there were manifestations and there was, you know, and, and again, so much of this stuff that people would have a problem with. I'm like, I was there a long time and I never saw that, never heard that. Don't know what you're talking about with that. So, 
What, so would, what, would, be, what would be the stuff they like? What are well, we're in the early days. Mm-hmm. In the early days, there was manifestations going on. So there would be like people falling out in the spirit, or people shaking, or again, none of this is new. Like if you really reach now, a little bit of a note here: um, shaking uncontrollably. Yeah, in the New Testament, that would happen to people who were demonized. Yeah, it's it's true. History. There's yeah. a reason why Quakers are called Quakers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wesley's meetings were not that calm and nice. The Second Great Awakening was. Sure. I'm just saying it's not. So Wesley had people barking like dogs and writhing on the ground uncontrollably. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's actually true about Wesley's evangelistic uh, preaching meetings. As clean as we want to make history. Right. But having said that, so a lot of this stuff is happening, like the Holy Spirit touching people. And some outward manifestations were happening. Well, then all of a sudden it was like people were like, well, people are barking like dogs and they're roaring like lions. And, and there was all this stuff. You're like, uh, okay, I don't even know what you're talking about. So I'm just saying like Bill has a real heart for revival. Yeah, so that he kind of cut out bad internet connection. Yeah, I understand the difficulties there. So, yeah, despite the fact we had people barking like dogs, Bill really – really has a heart heart for a revival and stuff like that that doesn't sound like revival to me and and at some level in all honesty and this is not a negative he just doesn't care what people think he cares what people he, he people can speak into his life but like he just wants to please god like that's his main passion so just to get so having people bark like dogs is really pleasing to god by the way just a little bit of a note in the book of Daniel, um, there was a fellow uh, by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. You've heard of him, King of Babylon. Yeah, you know, what's really funny about him is that uh, in the book of Daniel, let me see if I can do this from memory, Daniel 4. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 talks about him receiving the mind of of a beast or an animal. And you see, it wasn't a good thing. Just like the shakings, that's in the convulsing, that's the manifestation of the demonic in the New Testament. Here, you know, manifesting, you know, animal-like behavior is an actual punishment from God. Yeah, Daniel 4.4, 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And then the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers, they came and they told them told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, whose name, who he who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Um, and I told him... The dream saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew, became strong. Its top reached to heaven. And and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruits abundant, and in it was food for all. Uh, The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in the branches, and all flesh fed from it. 
And I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, and he proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth, and let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him instead, and let seven periods of time pass over him. So the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of the kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the whole earth, those whose leaves were beautiful and its fruits abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds the heavens lived. It's you, O king. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, come down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was the command to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. And all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Uh-huh. Now, if you want to read the rest of it, you can, but you get the point that uh, given the mind of a beast, that's a punishment from God. And Banning Liebscher is talking about that 
type of manifestation, people barking like dogs, like it was a good thing. Yeah, yeah, it was all part of revival, you know. Some context for that. Then a school of ministry starts. Mm -hmm. So then a school of ministry starts. Bethel has, I don't want to butcher numbers, but something like 2,300 students in its school right now. It gets an it gets a uh, it gets a new yeah that's about as depressing as that that you know as a statistic as you can hear twelve to fourteen hundred students that come in every year, so you have a lot of young, zealous, passionate students that are there, mm -hmm. and 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 they're going and and Bill is a supernatural guy. He believes in the power of God. He believes in the supernatural working of God. He believes in healing. He believes it is part of the atonement and it is available. And yeah, no, actually, healing is not part of the atonement unless you're talking about the resurrection. Yeah, where to go? At, so, so in uh, deliverance, all that type of stuff. So he, so it's a supernatural, charismatic environment, and then you put all these students into it that are zealous and young, and it's a very interesting combination of what's going on. Now, this is where you got to pay attention because he's spinning a, a false narrative. Now, you see. We're about ready to segue very shortly into the practice of grave soaking. And so he's basically said, we've got all of these students and, you know, they it's a it's a laboratory. They're they're experimenting with the supernatural. They're the ones responsible for the grave soaking. That's the narrative that he's going to give. And and Bill does not want to control things. Mm -hmm. so, so students might be out in kind of the fringe on what like they're kind of like pressing into the supernatural in a way that's like, okay, that's weird, man. That's weird. But Bill is not going to publicly get up and start reprimanding everybody. We pastor it one-on-one. -on -one. So I'll talk about some of that. But I just need to give some context. So anything goes, no matter how crazy it is. Anything goes at Bethel. We don't want to quench the spirit. And Bill doesn't want to, you know, from the pulpit, you know, suppress any any student who may be experimenting with the supernatural. Text. yeah. yeah. We're kind of like, and I would say this, much of the controversy surrounding Bethel is actually just people that have a problem with charismatics. Okay. So part of my concern is... Yeah, no, it has everything to do with the false doctrine, false practices, false teaching, uh, and bizarre stuff that's going on at Bethel. And as a result of these little students, the 2,300 that you were talking about, every year Bethel graduates, almost a 1,000 of them, and they are thrown like weed seeds out into the wind, and they land in churches all over the world, and they bring with them all of these false doctrines and practices. Yeah, they're having a huge negative impact on the body of Christ globally. This is when I'm talking to people... Is, is they're like going to read blogs or something. Yeah. And I'll go like... I yeah, why would you want to read a blog? No one nobody ever said anything true or biblical on a blog. Mm-hmm. Remember, I, I don't read much of this stuff, honestly, because I'm just, I, I, I'm, just putting, I, I'm just trying to go do what God's telling me to do. But I remember I looked up on YouTube, uh, like we had a video that we had produced, and I haven't seen it yet. They're like, oh, we put it up on YouTube. So I go, and I'm watching on YouTube. And then all down the right-hand side is all these other videos about Jesus culture. I'm like, what are these? And I just start clicking on them, and there, everybody has a problem with us. Everybody has a problem with Jesus culture. But I'm like, who are these people? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, like it's just random people. Yeah, why don't you, like, address the substance of some of the criticism, you know? Granted, I mean, I get criticized daily. Daily. Social media, email, I'm used to it. And some criticism is just wackerdoodle, and the substance of it is not even close to anything helpful. And some of it is actually quite useful. Just because somebody's critical 
doesn't mean that they're wrong. Who have a problem with Jesus culture. Most of them have a problem with charismatics. You know what I'm saying? Because I would say like, like our theology is a charismatic theology, like many other churches, Bethel would just be more visible or Bethel would have more of that supernatural happening kind of deal, which is messy. It's messy. How about it's not even real? What you said to me is so telling when you said that uh, Bill doesn't want to control things. Yeah, Preston, a little bit of a note here. That sure microphone, that's a that's a great microphone. Yeah, if you know, note that it's, you know, it's uh, pa- the pattern on that requires you to actually be closer to the microphone. That's not, uh, you know, a, a room microphone. That's a cardioid mi- microphone, which means you need to be right on it. So weird that he's doing that. And you have these young, zealous people. And if I could hear what you're saying, sometimes young, zealous people can maybe take things into a into maybe an extreme or start to explore things yes. that you or the leadership may not be like, oh, we, we – So not- here's the narrative now being re- rehashed by Preston Sprinkle, uh, who's way too far away from that sure microphone. But anyway, he's rehashing the narrative. Oh, it's these crazy young – charismatic school of supernatural ministry students that are doing the whacker doodle things there. They do that, but if you're not going to police everything. So I, well, from the pulpit. So we, we, we pastor it. I'll give you an example. And again, I don't know who your listeners are. So they may think like, this is, they're all, they're all over the map. You're going to have, yeah, Yeah, there's like Lutherans and stuff watching. Thanks. Non-charismatics. Well, I'm a pretty normal guy. So, but but we were in staff one time, and these students, and I don't even know where this came from, but I was getting emails about this from my pastor friends from around the nation. Mm-hmm. So, And social media puts it all out there now. But they were, like, putting um, coins on the wall, and the, they were stained. And they're like, oh, man, this is God. This is supernatural. And, and because the coins were stained on the wall, this is literally what happened. And we're in a staff meeting going, what? That's weird. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Like, you know, like somebody go pastor them and talk to them. Like, you know, right. students that are trying to walk through walls, oh, wow. you know, because it's in the Bible, right? It, <clears throat> one time, actually two times it's in the Bible. And um, it's Jesus who did it after the resurrection. And no examples of any human being walking through walls like Peter Paul. In fact, Peter was in prison and God sent an angel to open the prison door and to let him out. Peter didn't walk through the wall. Jesus did. Um, so just to say, well, it's in the Bible, so we're going to practice that. Yeah, if, if if I had one of my catechumens in my church you know, saying, hey, Jesus walked through walls, I'm going to practice how to do it too. I'd have a very long conversation about making proper distinctions. Uh-huh. So they walk right. through walls. So they're trying to go practice walking through walls. And we're all, we all are like, uh, yeah, I don't know, that's a little bit. That's a little out there, you know? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it shows that they need to be theologically reined in and biblically instructed. To pay for your broken nose. <laughs> yeah, but the deal is is that Bill or is not going to get up from the pulpit because Bill doesn't mind a little bit of mess. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. We we don't mind a little bit of if they want to try practicing walking through walls, they can knock themselves. I want to walk on water. They can go right ahead, but they're not. It feels like it, where there's oxen, there's mess. So you know, 
I'm not going to get misuse of that proverb, by the way, because he doesn't want to shut down those that are really seeking. Right. And those that are really trying to press in for more of God, he doesn't want to shut that stuff down by starting to get up and police everything from the pulpit. The problem yet scripture tells the pastors that they are to rebuke those who who deviate from sound doctrine. And yeah, see, belief that you can walk through walls is a false doctrine. Needs to be reined in. Is, and I don't know, one of the big controversies around Bethel is what they, is this grave suckers thing. I don't even know if you've heard of this. Now, note, the narrative at this point is that it's the students. It's the students doing this. You know, the, the staff, the leadership, you know, the Jesus culture guys, you know, they're hearing about this going, well, that's kind of weird, you know, and, but it's, it, you know, they don't, we don't want to shut down those people who are experimenting, who are truly des- de- try, desiring to press into God and stuff, but it's the students, the students are the do the doers of the grave soaking. But, I read about that. I think in a Christianity Today article. That Okay, well, I'll address the Christianity Today article if you'd like, but. Okay. They, but so this is one of those things like, um, you know, uh, some, some students or, or in the past, like we have a real passion for history and revival history and mm-hmm. men and women of God. So whatever it is, the Whitfields and the Wesleys and the Luthers and, you know, yeah. the, the, the Booths. And then, and then for us, the John G. Lakes and the Catherine Kuhlmans and, huh. and, and, and. Yeah, it's weird to hear Martin Luther in that list. Wow painful very painful so we have a you know we have a we we read that stuff we love that it stirs us inspires us and so you know you know like um i don't know who would be a good example i I don't know who would have been over there john wesley going to john wesley's grave you know if you're over in england or booth's grave Mm -hmm. just going and visiting it and just praying at the grave like lord what what general booth did and the salvation army god do it again in our day and and let us see it let us see a transformation happen in society like he did like just you know we'd go visit that and people might pray or whatever right. and then it kind of, again these are students yeah it's just the students doing this <laughs> it's just the students no it's not um yeah see here's a interesting photograph i found on the internet from uh, uh benny um Benny Johnson, this is the wife of Bill Johnson uh, from her Instagram. That's her grave soaking on C.S. Lewis's grave. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, and she just says, what I do, LOL. C.S. Lewis, Oxford trip. Yeah, so there's Benny Johnson, you know, soaking up C.S. Lewis's anointing. Uh, he, and here's uh, same woman, Benny Johnson. Uh, at Charles Finney's grave, you know it's just the students. <laughs> you know the silly students. You know, I, you know how goofy they could be. <laughs> yeah, what, what about her? You know, yeah. But uh, yeah, just just saying. Benny Johnson. Uh, she doesn't seem like one of the students to me at uh, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. So you'll note that uh, Banning Leapshire here is kind of whitewashing the whole grave soaking thing here here's a a video by the way that is ben fitzgerald ben fitzgerald of of awakening europe a ben fitzgerald of awakening australia ben fitzgerald whose mom is the christ alignment destiny card lady 
Yeah, that's right. One of our earliest YouTube videos that uh, we we did this year was on Christ alignment and these uh, these uh, tarot card, Christian tarot card readings. Uh, they're done by Ben Fitzgerald's mom. But here's Ben Fitzgerald and some students. Now these are the students, but Ben Fitzgerald is now a major leader within kind of the charismatic movement with very strong ties. To Bethel Church, but uh, here's he, here's him talking about grave sucking. Here we go. Mr. Wigglesworth's grave um, in Bradford. It's up the, the other end of England. You might not be able to come here naturally, but you can certainly feel it supernaturally what's happened in this man's life. And it's funny, all of us students, when we came here, the thing that we felt was uh, that like the raising of the dead power and the gift of faith came on us. And some students were leaning over the back of the grave and they felt a grace and a faith just rest on them. Mm-hmm. It's funny, isn't it? How, you know, Elijah, um, I think someone put the, the, bo- the person's bones on his bones and they got raised up to life. Yeah, now, by the way, that becomes the biblical pretext for grave sucking. And you'll note that Ben Fitzgerald, who at the time, I think, was a student at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. But let's take a look at the actual text in question. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 13. Uh, A little bit of a note here. Uh, 13 verse 20, Elisha died. Elisha died. They buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Which, by the way, is a you know, prophetic type and shadow of the, uh, of the resurrection of Christ. That's really what this is pointing to. But all of that being said, there was no practice in the Old Testament times of people seeking out the bones of prophets for healing or anything like this. And this just happened to happen because they were burying this fellow. A marauding band of Moabites happened to be coming through the region, and they basically said, Quick, we got to get out of here. Throw that body on that grave. And so they throw it into the grave, and it just so happened to land on the bones of Elisha, and the fellow came back to life. This is not some kind of an ongoing practice that we're supposed to be um, engaging in as Christians, by the way. There's a big difference between descriptive texts in the Bible and prescriptive texts. So this is describing a historical event. It is not prescribing a practice. And apparently they don't teach the students of the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry like Ben Fitzgerald to make a proper distinction like that. So there he is at the grave of Smith Wigglesworth. And watch where he goes from here. You come into a place where the Holy Spirit was on a person. He still exists there. He still keeps the heritage of the person's life. And he can see how his whole family buried with him. Um, but this is the man, Smith Wigglesworth. And, and the history of this man is a history of miracles and great faith and a restoration of the miraculous. Yeah, he's a charlatan. ...anointing into the Church of England and also across the whole world. And as you know, he's written many great books and writings on, on gifts of faith and, and the working of faith and the working of miracles. He even punched people at times, and uh, which I don't <laughs> encourage all the time, but when the gift of faith comes... Yeah, he, he did punch people, including children. ...on you, and you know what to do. You've got to punch that devil out of people. <laughs> smack that thing in the chops and get it out of someone's life and get the devil off people's back. And this is what this man did. And so although you can't be here in the natural... Just open up your hands right now and get ready to receive in the spiritual because there's Come no on. distance in the spirit. Yeah. All right, so no, whatever this video, wherever it was recorded, while he was there, you know, he's going to take whatever anointing is on Smith Wigglesworth's grave and he's going to 
release it into the spiritual atmosphere and you can receive it. God can release this same impartation onto you. And just before we do that, we're just going to, uh, I'm going to show you one scripture down here that has on his grave an amazing scripture they put in his grave here just after his writings there about Smith Wigglesworth's life. They put this, he says, I fought the good fight and I've kept the faith. This man had an enduring spirit. And I believe right now the impartation is going to be the gift of faith is going to come on you and also the spirit of endurance. That This man, he was persistent. This man prayed in tongues for two to three hours a day, read the Bible every day, and he kept the faith all, all the way up to the end of his life. And out of all the people in the God's General's books, he's one of the ones that he never fell, he never compromised, he never changed his heart and his attitude toward God and toward people. He stayed the same. He had enduring faith. I don't know, punching people to heal them or to knock the devil out of them. Yeah, that sounds like he compromised to me. We're just going to pray right now in Jesus' name. So we release, we release. Other students want to come in, we just release over there. Now, I, I think the right counter curse move here is you got to block. So he's going to release, I'm going to block. So, you know, so I, I'm blocking whatever he's releasing. I, I think that's how you keep it out of your house. Over the camera right now, we just release the anointing of God um, that is in this place. And we pray that faith, faith, great faith would come on you. And we just release right now the anointing. Just take it now in Jesus' name. Take enduring faith and take a great faith to do. So they're releasing this because it's sitting there on the grave of Smith Wigglesworth. Yeah. Miracles, to work miracles in the neighborhoods, in the supermarkets, but also an enduring faith to continue on and to not compromise your life, but to walk with the Lord. Jesus, and he's releasing over you right now grace. Yeah, you can tell these are just solid students of God's word here. Yeah, that shows you the quality of a student that is uh, graduated from Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. So here's Banning Liebscher talking about grace. It's just the students. (laughs) Yeah, those silly students, and there's Benny Johnson. Uh, But, uh, yeah, let me back this up so you can hear the false narrative here. Let us see a a transformation happen in society like he did. Like just, you know, we'd go visit that, and people might pray or whatever. And then it kind of, again, these are students. (laughs) And then it kind of starts going like, Yeah, how come you didn't talk about Benny Johnson doing that? Well, now they're laying on the grave, you know, which is kind of like that biblical thing. No, it wasn't the students laying on the grave. That was Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson's wife. See, there she is. She's doing that right there. And here she's hugging the uh, gravestone of Finney there. Yeah, it wasn't the students that were merely doing that. Like there's yeah. an I, I, we, I, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a proponent for it. I'm just saying like, hey, there was an anointing on Elijah, Elisha right. or Elijah. There was anointing on his grave that made the... No, there wasn't. ...guy come back to life, and maybe there's an anointing... Yeah, you've, again, you know, we just took a look at the text. It's a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. And then it started getting where, like, I don't know, man. It was, like, getting... I don't know what students were doing, but but it was weird. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, what Benny Johnson, the wife of Bill Johnson, was doing. That's really weird. You know, I'm... I've put flowers on the grave of relatives and friends. I've never laid down on their grave, though. Yeah, that that's just that's just yeah, really weird. Yeah, it wasn't just students though, banning. Yeah, but that's the stuff that all of a sudden is blown up all over the place. Yeah. And what- yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, I mean, there's see, there's nothing to see here, folks. I mean, this is just as normal as normal can be. <laughs> I have no idea why why this would be controversial. You know. <laughs> 
yeah, you kind of get the idea here is that uh, Banning is engaging in PR spin and his false narrative isn't holding up at all uh, if you just know where to go to find the evidence. And I, I think you get the point. So, yeah, Banning Liebscher. That's uh, what we would call whitewashing, the grave-soaking, grave-sucking practices of the leadership as well as the students of Bethel. So you get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, uh, Rabbi Gene Binder Binder going to be explaining to us uh, the, uh, well about wonder and it's a wonderful life we'll be right back gibberish is not one of the gifts of the holy spirit you're listening to fighting for the faith high ridge christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman why yes i am can i interest you in some <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. 
Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> no, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two, we're well into it here at Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon? Sermon. Comes to us via Cornerstone Boulder. Yeah, that's the name of the uh, congregation in Boulder, Colorado. Rabbi Gene Binder Bender presiding. And um, we're, the name of the message is um, It's a Wonderful Life. And we're going to pay close attention to see how long it's going to take him to actually, you know, meaningfully teach from the Bible. Yeah, apparently people are way too busy and you know, to do that anymore during the sermon time. So we're going to pay close attention to see how long it takes him to do that. And if he does, if he meaningfully handles the proper text, is he going to call people to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, or are we just going to be freewheeling it? Freewheeling it, I guess. I don't know. You get the point. Let me back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Gene Binder, Binder, and It's a Wonderful Life. Here we go. Hey, good morning. Mm. I'm just going to sit here and eat popcorn. Because that's enough wonder in itself. How do those little kernels turn into this? How about that? So there's the theme for the sermon, apparently, wonder, you know, which leaves me wondering, where did he come up with the biblical concept of wonder? So we're right in the middle of a series called Wonder. Uh, God Moving Among Us is the subtitle, and the title of my message today is It's a Wonderful Life. And my goal today is to inspire you to want to experience a life full 
of wonder. So, so the goal is to inspire you to want to live or experience a life full of wonder. Is is that what Jesus did with his disciples? Is that what Paul and Peter and James and John taught when they went out to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah and make disciples you know, of Jesus? Is that what they did? Some of you know that It's a Wonderful Life is one of my all-time favorite movies. I typically watch it once a year when it comes out around Christmas time. The movie is about a guy named George. I should swallow this before it gets stuck in my throat. So, George starts out life full of wonder and joy. He's just excited about what's in front of him. And he ends up getting so tangled up and stressed out doing life that eventually he loses all of his wonder, forgets about what's most important. Everything begins to bug George, even little things, especially a loose wooden spindle on the staircase that always comes off in his hand every time he ascends or descends them. But God takes George on a really special journey where he regains all of his wonder and his joy back. And in the final epic scene of this movie, George returns home a new man. And as he ascends the stairs, once again, the spindle comes off. Um, George, this time, instead of getting cursing it as he did so many times in the past, he stops, he looks at it, then he kisses it. And then he chuckles as he gently puts it. You are aware that um, It's a Wonderful Life is not a historical narrative. Yeah, that's right. It's not in the Bible. No, it's not. Back. It's a Wonderful Life. All right. I'll just put it right there so you can kind of see that. Um, we all start off life filled with wonder. It just doesn't take... Are you not going to talk about how each and every one of us is born... That means starting off life dead in trespasses and in sins. Mm -hmm. And that we need to be made alive, regenerated through the preaching of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Much for a child to become wide-eyed and mystified because to them almost everything seems magical and mysterious. But over time, life has a tendency to chip away at our childlike wonder. We either get too hurt. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe there's a reason why we get hurt? It's because of humanity's rebellion against God and the consequences of sin. You know, I'm just saying that that may legitimately be in play here. And the pain and pressure of life makes it fade away, or we become too smart, and the increase of knowledge explains away all the mystery until one day we find ourselves all grown. So the problem is the increase of knowledge, which drives away mystery. Do you have a biblical text that says that? Only discover that our wonder has all but vanished. And movies like It's a Wonderful Life and Peter Pan tackle this universal phenomenon, and they try to inspire us back to more of a childlike, wonder-filled life. And so my prayer for this message today is that God would inspire us all back to a more childlike, wonder-filled life, and that we would once again easily become wise. Not childlike faith in Christ, but childlike wonder, which is different. Died and mystified even by the small things in life, something even like a wooden spindle.
Before I begin, as we've done in each week in this series thus far, I want to share a wonderful story with you. A few years from the Bible, back a Gallup poll showed that Boulder is ranked second for its lack of interest in religion, beat out nope, not from the Bible, only by a mere one percent by Burlington, Vermont. Of all places, okay? And although there was a time in Cornerstone's history, in our church's history, that I would have said that the Gallup poll explains perfectly the lack of success that we had early in our early years to reach the people of Boulder, that is not the case today. And I want to tell you a story of, that will explain when and how that all changed, okay? And in order to tell the story, i got to go back about 32 years to Irvine, California, the church that Andrew and I uh, both began to follow Rabbi Yeshua at. And a few years later, um, probably about late 1980s, I'm in, a, I'm in a meeting that's upstairs in our building. I needed to leave that meeting for about an hour because it was going to be like a three or four hour thing. And uh, I needed to go to a counseling appointment. Yes, back in those days, I needed lots of counseling, and I wouldn't miss that appointment. And so I went out of that room, down the stairs, and I was going to turn left to go out the exit doors, and I hear this voice say, go right down the hall. And it was as clear as day. So you hear voices in your head, and you were at that time in major therapeutic psychological counseling. Got it? But I begin to kind of rationalize in my mind that I'm just hearing things. I need, you know, I got to get to this meeting. I begin to go out the door. I hear it again. Go down the hall. So I go down the hall. And about halfway down the hall are the two. So no, the miracles he's pointing to are not the signs in the Bible. No, this is. This is, uh, he, uh, he himself hears God, and you have to believe this. Entrance doors into our auditorium, and I could peer through these two glass windows, and I could see the lights are on. So I think, okay, God, you want me to turn the lights out? I'll be back in an hour. Do it now. So I unlock the doors. In order to turn out the lights, I've got to climb up this fire escape into our sound booth where all the master controls are at. So I get up there, and I go, they're on a table, and all our sound equipment up there, and I go to press the button for the off button, and I look, and there's two teenage boys hiding underneath the table. Weird, right? And so I'm the youth pastor at the time. I do not recognize these teenage boys. And I said, what are you doing there? And they said, nothing. And so... I just kicked into gear, and I, and I said, come with me. And I was so surprised that they did, because they were like 10 feet tall. And um, they follow me down the hall. I go into this room where I was having a meeting. I say, I found these boys under our sound equipment. I think they're, not, they're up to no good. And we begin to drill them. And about two minutes into it, one of them just says, F you. And they both run out the door, and we didn't see them again. We call the police. The police end up finding out that two boys had, had run away from a little boy's home that was only a couple miles away. They found them. They said that they were just getting out of the rain. It was raining that night. And so the next morning, I'm, I'm talking to God, and I said, whoa, what the heck was that all about? I mean, that is like the most crazy thing that's ever happened in my short little walk with Jesus. And I said, why did it go sideways? He said, well, it went sideways when you stopped listening to me. 
And that is so true. Because mm. So if you want wonder, you have to learn how to listen to the voice inside your head and keep listening to it. Supposedly, that's God. No, I seriously doubt that's God. As soon as I saw them, I kicked into gear, took those boys in, we drilled them, and who knows where it would have gone had I been able to kind of stay with God and say, what do you want to do with these guys? So fast forward to 1999. We just moved into this building, and uh, we had been for six years renting at a middle school. We're not having a whole lot of success in Boulder. But one, this one morning, a few uh, after a few months of being in this building, only had one service at that time, I'm still really kind of a disorganized, unstructured kind of a pastor. I had a lot of stuff I had to finish up for Sunday morning to get ready for that one service. So it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm driving down from Louisville down South Boulder Road, and I hear a voice say, go to NCAR. Oh, I recognize this voice. But I got a lot to do. I mean, I'm really behind. I hadn't even finished the message. And so I pull into the parking lot, and I just sit, like, right about right there. So notice, we're not hearing anything of the Bible. No, the, the only word of God we're supposedly getting are the voices inside of his head. But he also admitted that he was, you know, needed a lot of counseling. Uh-huh. And I'm just sitting in that car kind of arguing with this voice, thinking I should take some meds or something, you know? And yeah, that's probably correct. Finally, I go, okay, all right, I'm going to go up to NCARB and I'm going to bump into somebody, you know, right by now it's almost like 10 to 6. And um, I'm going to just drive up and go into the parking lot and I'll find who it is that God wants me to bump into. This time I'm going to listen though, right? So I drive up there. And it's still pitch black, and I drive into the parking lot. I don't know if you've ever been into NCAR's parking lot at 6 o'clock in the morning when it's pitch black. Guess what? There's nobody there. I mean, I drive around expecting to see somebody. I don't find anybody. And so now I'm like really verklempt, and I thought, I'm just going to sit and park on the edge and look out to the east over Boulder and just pray for a little bit before I come back down to the church. So that's what I do. Within minutes, the sun starts cresting above the horizon. And now I'm like weeping. I can't even explain what's going on. I'm just so emotional and I'm just pouring out gushing tears. And within about three or four minutes, the whole, the whole east plain is lit up. And I hear God say, if I can light up the world in just a few minutes, I can light up Boulder anytime I want. All right, so supposedly that's the word of the Lord now. If he can light up the, you know, the world in a few minutes, he can light up Boulder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, still no Bible yet. We are rapidly approaching the one-third of the way through this sermon, Mark. And then I heard God say, I want you to go back and get the pastors of the different churches and have four all-citywide praise and worship services this year. So that was my task. Needless to say, when I came back here to the service, I threw my notes away, well, what little notes I had, and just talked about this experience. Well, I get, so the next time the pastors got together, we, we were meeting, and most of the churches gathered together for prayer once a month. I told them this experience, and they one of them patted me on the back. I said, you know, we need to have these four worship services. One of them patted me on the back and said, Gene, we've done stuff like that before. 
the same 20 people show up to these things. And he said, but, you know, we respect you. We've known you for a little bit now. And if you say God heard you, let's try it. So we did the first one at Boulder Valley Christian Church. It's 600 people. I bet 700 people showed up. The second one was at Vine Life Church. It seats 800 people. It was probably about 1,000 people that showed up. The next one was at Rocky Mountain Church. It seats 1,200, filled the capacity. The next one was 1,600. Now, if you ask me, when did things change for us here in Boulder? Because up until this time, almost everybody that came to Cornerstone came from different cities. They weren't the people of Boulder. It changed after that last service. We changed. The church changed, and the city of Boulder changed. I don't know how to explain it. It was just something that God did, and it's an incredible story. It's a- what exactly did he do? Drawing a crowd could just be a matter of good marketing. How many people were brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Wonderful story, actually. Um, Okay, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at a few passages in the Bible. All right, so we are officially a third of the way through the sermon, and now God's Word is finally going to show up, at least the Bible is. So we've gone one-third of the way through the sermon. Describe wonders that we can find both in the physical and spiritual realms of this universe that ought to make us wide-eyed and mystified. And I'm not going to spend a lot, I'm not going to like serve a big four-course meal from these passages. I'm only going to kind of set the table in such a way that hopefully it will leave us craving more wonder in our lives. And my intent today is to inspire you to become ravenous wonder gluttons, okay? So we're going to be inspired to become wonder gluttons. Isn't gluttony a sin? Can you give me an example of a wonder glutton in the Bible? And, yeah. Wonder addicts. I want you to go away addicted to wonder. And I'm going to leave enough room at the end of this message for us to have what I call a big wonder meal together. Okay. The first. You're going to have a wonder meal. Is that the Lord's Supper? Passage that should inspire us. This first passage should inspire us to crave the wonders of an unseen spiritual dimension. In in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Syria sends a sizable army to capture the prophet Elisha. And when Elisha's servant steps outside early the next morning, this is what he sees. It's in chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no. I think really the Hebrew is, oy vey, my Lord. What shall we do? The servant asked. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those men, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed to the Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And when he looked around, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. These are not physical beings, right? These are spiritual beings, celestial beings. And, you know, most people... Okay, so this is a story of miraculous deliverance. God sends the angelic hosts to thwart the plans of the king of Syria. 
but how is this supposed to make me a wonder glutton? Yeah, I, I'm I'm more interested in the God who delivers than in the so-called realm of the supernatural. Live their lives unaware that there exists both a physical and a spiritual dimension because the only realm that we can typically see is the physical one. And in this passage and many other passages like this one, we see a clear example that when an event takes place in the physical realm, there's a parallel event that takes place in the spiritual realm. It's kind of Yeah, that's overcooking the text there. We get this notion that we all have a guardian angel assigned to us, but as you can see from this passage, that it's a much bigger concept that involves a whole host of good and bad guys. Yeah, it, we don't have any... This, this In this particular case, I mean, it might be just an assignment specific to protecting Elisha from the, uh, the, the armies of the king of Syria. You don't know if this relates to the doctrine of ministering spirits, which angels are, and that we and each believer has the you know angelic ministering spirits looking after them and helping them. This is what Scripture teaches, but we don't know the number. And Second Kings here is not a text that you would go to in order to divine or figure out just how big that number is on both sides of the dimension. Elisha's servant could only see the players in the physical realm, but when God opens his eyes to see what's taking place in the spiritual realm, he must have been instantly blown away by what he saw. Blown away, by the way, is a synonym for wonder, if you weren't sure about that. Yeah, um, he must have been blown away. Notice you're not exegeting the text. You're just telling us what you think he would have experienced rather than showing us what he really did experience just you know pointing it out you know and especially how much the good guys now outnumbered the bad guys in this particular scenario so when we first moved into the building i was the guy are we done with the bible teaching now we get another one of your life stories preached and led worship in fact i did that even before we came into this building. I mean, I don't know how I did it, but I actually would lead worship, and then I would preach. And um, Sometimes the worship team was a little thin, and so we you know, tried to just bump up the volume to kind of fill in the spaces. But one, one Sunday, I remember leading a worship song and hearing, like, where's those other voices coming from? I mean, there were other voices filling this room. At least that's what I was hearing. And it only happened on one song. And afterward, we went out to lunch, me and Andrea and my son, Michael. So he's still hearing voices in his head. Got it. And Michael was doing our sound back then. And he comes up to me and he says, Dad, what was with all those voices? And I go, you're kidding me. You heard it too? There's a realm. You know, some people say it's separated, heaven and earth is separated by a space. Sometimes that space is really thick and sometimes that space is really thin. This is how psychics talk. But every once in a while, God just kind of tears it down and the two spaces merge. That's what I think what happened with these singing angels. And so God, give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, and ears to hear, pierce through that unseeable 
those unhearable walls that separate both the physical realm and the spiritual realm. The next passage should inspire us to crave the wonders found in God's Word. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. By the way, that word... Yeah, Psalm 119 is a very long psalm. You know, like longest one in the Bible. And it's all about the Word of God. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your Torah, in the Bible. Wonderful is our Hebrew word pala or palot for plural. Um, and the, the Hebrew word for law in that text is really Torah. And so the psalmist is really asking God to reveal the deeper wonders or mysteries that are found in the Hebrew scriptures. And he wants to be wide-eyed. Not just the Hebrew, but also the New Testament as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever it is the written word of God. And mystified by them. Judaism has always valued, and it still values today, a stream of mysticism that is called Kabbalah. And it significantly influences all the major... Really? You're giving a positive plug for Kabbalah? ...branches of Judaism. God has embedded and hidden many mysteries in our Bibles. And people like Daniel in the Old Testament and... And people like Rabbi Paul in the New Testament were able to see and then share those mysteries with others. In fact, people often say to me that what they enjoy the most about my teachings from the Bible is that I often help them see things that they never noticed before. But like the psalmist, I always start out reading a passage by asking God to reveal any hidden or mysterious aspects to them. And then I simply begin a wonderful, a wonder-filled journey with the Holy Spirit to connect the dots, which is a fantastic... Connect the dots via mysticism? I'm a little confused. For a book, if somebody would write one. You can do the same thing. You should be doing the same thing. Okay, the next passage should inspire us to crave the wonders of the cosmos. Psalm 19. Verses 1 through 4, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Yeah, this makes me have wonder for the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sky. Yeah, wonder for God, the one who created all of this. After day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Now, especially living here, you know, there's nothing like going into the mountains and and staring up at the night sky, away from all this. Have you noticed that everything turns into feelings with this guy? Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. City lights. And away from all the city noise. In the still of the night, you can't hear anything. I mean, maybe some crickets. But because everything in the night sky is so intensely magnified, it's like everything is screaming at you with wonder and mystery and beauty. And as you look up, you can't help but say, what else is up there that I can't see? How far does this go? Oh, my God, is that a shooting star? Is that a meteor shower? The aurora borealis? It's incredible. 
It's wonderful. The cosmos is a place of wonder and mystery. Then there's the wonder of earth. Psalm 65 verse 8 says, The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten up early intentionally to go somewhere to see a sunrise or to go somewhere intentionally to see a sunset. And I bet if you've ever been with a group of people, people start cheering. Whoa, yeah, way to go, God. That is awesome. That's amazing. That's kind of what this passage is saying. God made us an incredible playground filled with an amazing landscape from the majestic mountains to the breathtaking vastness and depths of the ocean to the spectacular barren landscape of the deserts and everything in between. The earth is a place filled with wonder if we will just take the time to notice. Then there's the wonders of the human body. Psalm 139. Yeah, okay. Um, You're doing a really bad job of, like, making me want to become a wonder glutton. I don't feel like I'm getting a meaningful look at any particular text at all. And you're just kind of ripping this verse out of context and then kind of browbeating me saying I need need to, you know, take time to smell the roses is pretty much how I would – you know, summarize what you're saying, and which makes me ask the question, am I sinning if I'm not taking time to smell the roses? Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's that word pala again. Uh, Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now, did you know that your nose can remember up to 50,000 cents? Did you know that? That's an amazing number. Oh, that's lavender. That's beef cooking. You know, I mean, you can, you can remember all these scents, up to 50,000 of them, okay? 50,000 of your cells died and were replaced in your body while I just said this sentence. 100,000 chemical reactions occur in your brain every minute. And a passionate kiss causes the same chemical reactions in the brain that skydiving or skiing down a black diamond slope does. Yeah, well, no wonder guys get cold feet. All right. The complexity and functionality of the human body should make anyone gasp with wonder. And then there's the wonders of the animal and plant kingdom. I love this. This is Jesus. This is Yeshua speaking in Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 30. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. In other words, look, if you're like George, man, you're all caught up. You're all tangled up in life. You're worried about where your next paycheck's going to come to, how you're going to keep all those Plates that are spinning from dropping, and so you've kind of lost your wonder. You know what Jesus' answer to that is? Have you looked at the birds lately? Have you noticed? Yeah, uh, that part of the Sermon on the Mount is an actual chastisement on the part of Christ for those who worry and do not trust God to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's about. Them. Have you noticed that they don't sow and they don't reap and yet God feeds them? 
How much more valuable are you? And then he says, don't worry about your clothes. Have you noticed the flowers of the field? How beautifully they're dressed. I mean, none of them are even... See, Jesus isn't chastising him for lack of wonder, but for lack of faith. Close to how beautiful Solomon, the richest man in the world back then, was dressed. Andrea and, I, Andrea and I have outside of our kitchen window that looks into our backyard. If you've ever been to our backyard, it's like, it's a trophy. I mean, it's an amazing place. And we've hung a couple bird feeders right out that picture window. And right now the, the black-eyed Susans are like blooming like crazy. And it's easy to look out there and just go, wow. I mean, we just love kind of standing back in the morning far enough that the birds aren't scared away and see how they, they all come to eat. And the black-eyed Susans are so beautiful in their yellow flowers and their black centers. And they're like just kind of, you know, stretching up to the sun saying, feed me, feed me. And then I believe the intent of this next passage is to cover the wonder of everything. Okay? This is the book of Proverbs 30. Verse 18 through 19, this is a a fellow named Agur, the sayings of Agur. And he says this, there are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. So my, my take on this is the first three are amazing. The fourth one, I don't get it at all, okay? He doesn't get all of them, but he really doesn't get the last one. Here they are. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the one he doesn't really get, the way of a man with a young woman. And I think this is just a poetic way of saying that all of life is filled with wonder. If you will just take the time to look. But do you notice or can you figure out how all four of these things, what these four things have in common? They are things that should fall easily, but they don't. A soaring eagle stays in the air endlessly without even flapping its wings. A slithering snake clings to a slippery rock without having any legs. A heavy ship stays afloat on the water without sinking. And a love-sick teenage girl will blindly stay in love even if the man has bad intentions. And to all this, the writer of the passage says, I am blown away by all of them. Okay, but here's the problem. Some of us grown-up types, remember Peter Pan? He said he'd never grow up, and he did. Okay, some of us grown-up types are probably thinking right now, huh, wonder? Mystery? I don't think so. We now know the science behind how an eagle can glide indefinitely on thermal air currents. We now know that a snake has muscles all up and down his body and he contracts them to cling even to a slippery rock. We know the physics behind how even a 600,000 ton metal ship can float on the ocean waters. Love, well, okay, that's still a little mysterious, but it probably has something to do with brain chemistry. And to us grown-up types, there's no mystery. There's no wonder. 
when you know the science behind everything. But listen, I want to show you a video that will clearly demonstrate. <sighs> Is this a lesson that Jesus taught his disciples? I'm curious. That knowing the science about, behind something should only lead to more wonder, not less. Okay? This video is going to look at a few things in the world that are, number one, too slow, number two, too fast, and number three, too small for us to see. But as this video unlocks the mysteries that were once invisible to us, pay particular attention to how it only leads to more wonder not less. And we can get the house lights down. Enjoy. What is the intersection between technology, art, and science? I, I have no idea. This is Louis Schwartzberg. I don't think he's a pastor. Curiosity and wonder. Because it drives us to explore. Because we're surrounded by things we can't see. And I love to use film to take us on a journey through portals of time and space. This is a TED talk. <sighs> to make the invisible visible. Because what that does, it expands our horizons, it transforms our perception, it opens our minds, and it touches our heart. So here are some scenes from my 3D IMAX film, Mysteries of the Unseen World. 3D IMAX. Of the unseen world. There is movement which is too slow for our eyes to detect. So showing a mushroom growing. And time lapse makes us discover and broaden our perspective of life. We can see how organisms emerge and grow. How a vine survives by creeping from the forest floor to look at the sunlight. At the other extreme, there are things that move too fast for our eyes. But we have technology that can look into that world as well. Showing an owl in flight. Looks like it's going to run right into the camera. With high-speed cameras, we can do the opposite of time-lapse. We can shoot images that are thousands of times faster than our vision. Yeah, so? And we can see how nature's ingenious devices work. And perhaps we can even imitate them. When a dragonfly flutters by, you may not realize, but it's the greatest flyer in nature. It can hover, fly backwards, even upside down. Yay. And by tracking markers on an insect's wings, we can visualize the airflow that they produce. Nobody knew the secret but high speed shows that a dragonfly can move all four wings in different directions at the same time. And what we learn can lead us to new kinds of robotic flyers that can expand our vision of important and remote places. Yay! I feel closer to Jesus having watched that. We're giants. We're unaware of things that are too small for us to see. The electron microscope fires electrons, which creates images which can magnify things by as much as a million times. This is the egg of a butterfly. And there are unseen creatures living all over your body, including mites, 
that spend their entire lives dwelling on your eyelashes, crawling over your skin at night. Can you guess what this is? Shark skin. The caterpillar's mouth. The eye of a fruit fly. An eggshell. A flea. A snail's tongue. We think we do most of the animal kingdom, but there may be millions of tiny species waiting to be discovered. A spider also has great secrets, because spider silk thread is pound for pound stronger than steel, but completely elastic. This journey will take us all the way down to the nano world. The silk is a hundred times thinner than human hair. On there is bacteria, and near that bacteria, ten times smaller, a virus. Inside of that, ten times smaller, three strands of DNA. And nearing the limit of our most powerful microscopes, single carbon atoms. With the tip of a powerful microscope, we can actually move atoms and begin to create amazing nano devices. Some could one day patrol our body for all kinds of diseases and clean out clogged arteries along the way. Tiny chemical machines of the future can one day perhaps repair DNA. We are on the threshold of extraordinary advances, born of our drive to unveil the mysteries of life. So, un- yeah, all of this is about manipulating the creation and. I'm more interested in the creator when I go to church. Of cosmic dust, the air is full of pollen, micro diamonds and jewels from other planets, and supernova explosions. People go about their lives surrounded by the unseeable. Knowing that there's so much around us we can see forever changes our understanding of the world. And by looking at unseen worlds, we recognize that we exist in the living universe. And this new perspective creates wonder and inspires us to be... Creates wonder. Yeah, and notice this is a TED Talk. So this the wonder being discussed here can be experienced by the pagans as well as Christians. It's just about, you know, generic wonder. Explorers in our own backyards. Who knows? What and this is supposedly part of the sermon. Waits to be seen, and what new wonders will transform our lives. We'll just have to see. Isn't that awesome? So the band has now taken the stage. Apparently, they're going to start the sappy music here to. Uh, have the Holy Spirit descend on the audience in order to turn them into wonder gluttons. Is IMAX. Um, most of us lose our wonder because we become too hurt or we become too smart. And there it is. 
the sappy music. And apparently we lose our wonder because we've become too smart. I don't know, that guy with all of the, you know, the equipment who made the film and stuff like that and gave the TED Talk, he seemed kind of smart to me. I want to show you a picture. This is a painting that Andrea painted a couple of years ago. That's not it. There it is. And this hangs up in her studio in our house. Maybe if you've been in there before, she shared this story about this painting. She painted this because all the women, not most of the women in her line, past and present, and even those who moving forward from us, have experienced trauma, mostly in the form of some kind of an abuse. And um, it's a sad story, but it's also a story just filled with redemption as well. And this is a picture of this, this woman here. She's coming out of the ashes. So making beauty from ashes is what this is. And that is some ugly art. I, that, wow. That is woof. Woof. You notice she's looking up. She's looking up to the king. She's looking to the beauty of the king. And next to this painting, Andrea has a, a white piece of paper that's, that's um, stuck to the wall. And that paper says, may we never lose our wonder. May we never lose our wonder. Whether we're too hurt or we're too smart, there's no reason to lose our wonder. Because this is a wonder-filled place that we live in. As the new age sappy music is playing in the background now. Yeah. And so I want to end today with communion. I'm calling this the wonder meal. Yeah, that's about as far as I can go. Yeah, that's, yeah, calling the Lord's Supper a wonder meal pretty much has caused me to lose my appetite for the rest of the sermon. Plus, we're at the end of it anyway. <sighs> what a mess. No meaningful handling of God's Word. It was, you know, a stretch as far as the topic is concerned. Some of the biblical texts had nothing to do with the topic. And then the the kicker was the TED Talk, as if somehow... You know, God's going to speak to us through the TED Talk. And there was no real meaningful exegesis, no connection back to Christ, none whatsoever. No proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins or any meaningful discussion of why Christ came in the first place. And it just sounded like New Age gobbledygook from a guy who admits that he hears voices in his head. Just saying. I think you get the point. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.